0: Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller.
1: Hello, everyone. Jeffrey Tiefertiller back with another Service Management Leadership Podcast. We have Kathy Foster with us today. Kathy, how are you?
0: I'm doing great, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, what a... So this is the week leading up to Christmas. This is going to publish. I wore my Christmas jacket. For those of you all that are listening, go to YouTube and you'll see it. It's uh, what I say, Cat, uh, Kathy, Clark Griswold-esque. Very, very. <laughs> and I tried wonderful. to
0: match you with my uh, my my colors here.
1: So we we're we're much.
0: coming from lunch today.
1: Oh yeah, so none of it's planned. All right, so you're in the ITAM space, IT Asset Management. You've been in that space for quite a few years. Now, how'd you get started down that path? Because nobody ever goes to school and says, you know, I want to be in IT asset management. How'd you get started?
0: Well, it is an interesting story. It's not something that I set out to do. My background is in business operations. I've done procurement, finance, I've done some pretty large projects. Um, I worked with some design engineers as a financial business analyst, um, was in marketing operations for quite a while, um, and then that's kind of where the story began. Um, I my most of my career had been in semiconductors and uh, as those of you that know that it's very cyclical and uh, during this cyclical time um, my position in marketing operations um, was eliminated but i did have the opportunity to find another position within the company so that was really something i was very thankful for and i ended up with three different opportunities Um, And they were with procurement. Um, One was in sales operations and the other one was to join the newly formed PMO in IT. And so I was kind of thinking it over and um, I uh, decided to go and jump into IT because it was out of my comfort zone. It was one of those areas that where I was like, you know, this is something I've not done before. I've done procurement. I've done, you know, Marketing operations, which is similar to sales operations, and I also had a lot of respect for the CEO at the time, and they had just formed this uh, PMO. So my first project was to set up so- a software asset management process and governance. And first of all, coming into their, you know, IT was definitely a, a black hole for me. Um, you know, I was always on the other end, you know, banging on their door, needing support. Uh, So, um, you know, going in, there was a lot of things I didn't know about IT, and one of those was I had never even heard of a CMDB before, right? So I I was like clueless, but that was one of the things when I was asked to do software asset management was to set up the process and then use our IT service management tool to implement the process um, within there. So after about six months, um, we put the plans all together on paper. You know, we really mapped out. You know, what's this process going to look like? How are we going to do software asset management? to make sure that we're in compliance with some of our, you know, big major um, vendors. And after we got to the point where we had the process all developed out, we knew kind of what our workflows were going to look like. We started developing it into the tool, and we found out that it was never gonna be successful because our CMDB was in really bad shape. Um, Yeah, it was in pretty bad shape. You know, about six months into it, I got a little bit more comfortable with what a CMDB was and how it was used. And uh, I had to go back to the CIO and our stakeholders to discuss the findings that said, hey, there's no way this this project's gonna be successful. The first one I'm given coming in brand new to the IT organization saying, hey, I can't do my job because this is broken over here. And um, it was met with respect, so I was thankful for that. Um, And uh, about two weeks later, I got a call from the director of infrastructure offering me a position as the first IT asset manager. So that was then to be able to get our CMDB up and in good shape and get our assets in a way where we could start doing software asset management. So for me, it definitely wasn't a role that I was out seeking. Um, it was more of a circumstance of being, I would say, the right place at the right time maybe, um, or you could say the right wrong place at the right time. I don't, I'm not quite sure <laughs> how you put it, but it was definitely um, based on you know, the circumstance that I was put in. And uh, I moved from the project management office and then worked in infrastructure as the IT asset manager.
1: Oh, wow. And so I will say that your CMDB experience is not unique. A lot of organizations <laughs> struggle in that area because they either try to take on too much and they have mm-hmm. too big a scope or they don't have a good process to keep it up or something like that. It, everybody wants to blame the technology. And yes, that's part of it. But there's a lot of manual or human intervention that needs to make that thing do well.
0: Yeah, you can't really go into the tools unless you have your, in my opinion, unless you have your processes and frameworks and your um, people in place to make it work. Because if it's not working on paper, it's not working practically. Then it's not going to work in a tool. So you definitely have to have that that set up right in the first place to be able to get it to work in and um, in, in any type of tooling environment.
1: Oh yes, you're just going to get bad outcomes quicker. Exactly. <laughs>
0: seen that many times
1: my English teacher from way back when will probably call me after you know using that um so (laughs) moving over into that asset space and the business side of IT that helped you move up in the organization a little bit didn't it
0: yeah so um when after I took on the um the IT asset management role, then it kind of got interesting too. Um, About a year into that, we were just getting our CMDB in really good shape um, and getting ready to implement our software asset management process that we had built, you know, a year and a half before that. And at that time, then um, our company was acquired and I had the opportunity um, to go then uh, to be part of the... um, the management team and run the office of the CIO, which is basically the back office for the CIO, where I had the ITEL and ITSM governance. I had the uh, communication and um, organizational um, change management. We had the uh, IT procurement and IT finance, and we, um, what else did I also, oh, the PMO. Yeah, we had the PMO too. So it gave me the ability then to move into that position, um, which I did for several years, And I had a lot of fun with that because it still got, I get to touch all of those processes and the governance and, you know, how we run the business, which is um, something that I have a lot of passion around.
1: Oh, yes. And one of the things I want to push in on, if I may, is Mm -hmm. that, and this is for our viewers, people who see IT from a business lens, there are opportunities out there because every organization needs tremendous help because people get promoted by their technical expertise. And there's this big blind spot this gap of seeing it like a business is that kind of your experience
0: yes it has been my experience although i do find that you know it depends on different parts within the organization even within it where you have you know um a little bit of both or you have people that have been promoted up technically and they need a little bit more um, assistance from an operational standpoint but the or the last organizations i was in i think we had a really good mix of uh, the technical and the operational where we're able to run their business pretty tightly. And I'm seeing that too in, in the organization that I, I've just joined um, in September, which is um, the State of Texas Health and Human Services IT organization. So that's been a really um, interesting move for me. And uh, also seeing the similarities and differences between the private and public sector.
1: Oh yes, I wasn't meaning that they're mutually exclusive. I was just saying that there's room for both and they each need each other. They and, absolutely do. And so it's good. So you mentioned both industries. Right. How do they, you know, compare and contrast on the hardware asset side and the software asset side between semiconductors, heavy engineering, <laughs> you know, heavy technical and state government.
0: So it's, well, state government, so now I'm in health and human services. So the state is on the front lines of the whole, you know, pandemic that we're going through right now. Um, You know, they're the ones reporting and doing all the statistical analysis. They'll be working with the organizations across the state to get the, you know, immunizations out there. And IT is playing a large role. Um, If I do a compare and contrast, I would say that From a size standpoint, um, the size of the organization I'm in as a state of Texas versus the global organization I was in at semiconductors, it's the same size. So the same number of employees are supporting the state of Texas to, um, you know, to run the health and human services organization as we had as a semiconductor industry globally, um, you know, with a global footprint. Um, There is definitely um, the... You know the differences that I'm seeing, and that that's kind of small in a sense. Is that you know I'm going, I went from a you know a buy purchase um, model from a, to a lease model. Uh, so I think that there's you know pros and cons to both of that. But overall, I find that the complexities um, are similar, and even um, within the new organization, I find the complexities even broader because you have a huge. A uh, um user base in it from nurses to you know c level uh to you know the finance so you have some really different types of uh personas if you will then we had then i think then i saw it within my other organization which was you had kind of main you know you had r and d you had manufacturing you had office workers here it's you know you have um very dispersed in different types of laboratory environments you have doctors and nurses uh, you have other health experts you have people out in the field working with women infants and children Uh, we also have a large volunteer base so we're having to from an IT standpoint also support the volunteer base um, from an equipment standpoint and mobility standpoint so I think there's just a lot of uh, complexities you don't think about when you're not in the, you know, on the inside and you're, you see it from the outside. So, oh,
1: yeah. And so, two things there. One is the provisioning of people that are volunteers and all those different with different mm-hmm. rights. And that's a big deal. Second of all, those of you that are not familiar with the state of Texas, it's like four or five different uh, states or demographics. Mm-hmm. The far south borders Mexico. 99% Hispanic. It's different than, let's say, the northwest up in the Panhandle, which is mountainous, agricultural. East Texas a little bit different. West mm-hmm. Texas is dry as dirt with the t- the the figurative tumbleweed going by. And you're in Central Texas, which is not yeah, kind of rolling Yeah.
0: And you also think about, to your point, you know, you think about the division. Um, you know, if you take from kind of the central Texas down, you're much more heavily populated. If you're going, you know, from central kind of east down towards the coast, and then and you know you go from central up um, west, um, you're it's much broader country. So when you're trying to support the infrastructure um, there, it's definitely more challenging. Um, and then on the coast, you know, one of the things we have to deal with a lot is uh, di- the disaster recovery from hurricanes or you know weather incidents that are happening. Uh, so there's a lot of different complexities that that um, from both both parts or all parts of the state. Um,
1: oh, yeah, I was just thinking, take a nurse. A nurse in a poor Hispanic area on the border is different than a nurse in downtown Houston exactly. yes. or in Lubbock, Texas, out in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. Sorry for all yep. you all in Lubbock, I apologize, but you all know <laughs> what I mean.
0: Yes, Lubbock's a good good place. My son went to school up there, so.
1: I understand, so those of you all that uh, Lubbock's work, I used to have a grandmother who lived there and we'd have to go there in the summers. It was my first taste of uh, people paving over their yards because they couldn't get grass to grow. And, I, and then they would paint it green like to fool everyone and it it was this humorous thing.
0: That's great.
1: Oh, especially as a kid, my eyes were huge. Uh, (laughs) Given the strategic nature of your group, how have you helped facilitate outcomes in this crazy world we live in? I know you've only been there since September. Right.
0: Yeah, so um, prior to joining the IT asset management team, you know, that team did a lot of work to support the agency at the beginning of the lockdown. Um, A large segment of the state environment was not mobile, right, it was really a work in the office. And so the, um, you know, the mobile um, devices were not as prevalent as you see more in the technology fields and some of the, you know, in the industry that I worked in before. Um, And uh, the team had to really mobilize quickly to get equipment and applications up and running to enable employees to continue working during this lockdown time. So it was a monumentous task. On top of that, because we're in a lease environment, We have cycles, right, where some years, you know, your refresh is smaller and larger. Well, it just so happened that this year was also one of the larger refresh years. So on top of the large refresh, you had, you know, trying to enable individuals to continue supporting the state, um, working at home, which many had never done before. Uh, So it was... um, a significant amount of work that was done in a short time frame, but I think it also showed the team what they were capable of, right? I think a lot of organizations can say the th- same thing. Um, and this was also treated to similar other disaster recovery projects that have happened in the past, right? I talked about the fact that, you know, we have the coast and there's a lot, you know, we have well, not just the coast, so we have hurricanes that come in, but we also have tornadoes, right? Um, And the team was set up for success by the fact that they have, you know, that disaster recovery um, plans in place. Of course, it wasn't, usually it's more regionally focused, not for the whole state, Um, but um, I think that the team did an excellent job I kind of came in on the back end of that and we're continuing to support, you know, the projects to ensure that um, the health and human services um, division can deliver the critical services to the residents of the um, state. Um, You know, we have teams on the front line of COVID, COVID reporting and implementing the vaccine deployment. So my team has to be really flexible and nimble because I was talking about, you know, uh, we have, you know, the immunizations and vaccines coming up and we're going to have a lot of volunteers. So I, I, and also, um, contractors and different individuals coming in to help support that on a project base. So we need to make sure that we have the devices ready. You know, it's just in time, right? Get everything up ready and, um, and you know get those deployed so that we can support what is expected of us from the um from the residents of the state right everybody wants to make sure that they get it when they're expected to get it and we can't do anything to hold that up we are going to be held accountable so it's an interesting time to be here exciting time to be here and uh, also supporting something um you know that is Really important, you know, uh, to the state and to the country to get the citizens in a state where we can, you know, get back to um, the the new normal.
1: The new normal. I don't,
0: I don't call this the new normal. We're going to have a newer, newer normal.
1: <laughs> I think it'll always just keep being newer newer normal. But right. Right. People that don't realize how big Texas is. Texas is wider than it is tall. But as you go on I-35 into Texas, it's mile marker 503 and it counts down. So it's over 500 miles north and south. I don't know. Over
0: 900, so it's 900 east and west on on I-10, Yep.
1: Wow, just think (laughs) about that. That's a lot of miles for people to be up to speed and understand your assets on the life cycle, even your software and how it changes because your software needs may change in different demographics you know, right. between those. So that's quite uh, quite a big undertaking. So I have found that people in the IT asset management world have great stories, great stories. And I ask this question of all the ITM people that we have on here. Are there any you could share, even if they're cautionary tales, so to speak? <laughs>
0: Well, this isn't a cautionary tale. I mean, I'm still, there's things that are coming in. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, the whole environment, but, you know, we've been focused so much on the mobility and getting people, you know, laptops and, you know, VPN and uh, being able to have that flexibility to, to work from at home or from almost anywhere. Um, so I was really surprised the other day that um, I had an individual that came back to us that said, hey. I don't want my laptop anymore. I need my desktop model. Um, You know, when we have applications where you can, you know, go um, log in remote, right, into your uh, desktop model. But but she was like, I can't run the complex data that I have, even on our high-end laptops. You know, there are some desktop models that we have that just have the speed and the um, the CPUs and the RAM and the drives that we need to be able to do those complex. Um, data analytics and those are the ones that we use in a lot of labs so I was really kind of surprised that you know hey I don't want my you know I'll give up my laptop and I'll log in remotely into this desktop just get me something that's not going to crash on me and you know lets me do my job easier so you know sometimes we think mobile is the way to go right we're all kind of in in this mobile environment but you know we don't always know what the needs are of our customers we have to really listen to what they what they And again, this is one individual out of many. Um, So, you know, we have to listen to that and make sure that we're able to enable our employees to do the best job that they can with the right equipment. So, I thought that was kind of interesting because it's most of the requests I get are I want to get, you know, I need to get off of my desktop onto a laptop.
1: Oh, yeah. And on that note, it's funny only because you're going to enable this outcome for her, obviously. But now she can't really change her mind while you all are in these cycles. But I get where she's coming from. Not only that, but I have found that my laptop, like my mobile phone, is an electronic leash. You know, when I'm <laughs> on vacation and, oh, it's there. I got to do some work. And so, yeah, she may be tempted by that, but not as much as I am.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: And so, yeah, I call it the electronic leash, but that's a, you know, you just need to call it. <laughs> well, right. back
0: in the day, you know, when we had the blackberries, we used to call them the crackberries, right? Yes. <laughs> Doesn't remember that device.
1: <laughs> yes. And now that's, it's kind of blackberries like make a little bit of a resurgence, and the younger people don't understand why because it's harder to play games and do social media. Right. That's for a different story. All right. <laughs> Since you've been in the hardware asset management space and software asset management space for a while, what are some of the biggest changes that have come on the scene in your tenure?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest change and opportunities have been through the adoption of agile, um, CI, CD, and automation to shorten the time to market, right? So it's not, you know. Um, It can be anything from shortening time to market to getting a report out to delivering a PC, you know, to many different things, but really taking the approach of, um, you know, continuous um, improvements, continuous delivery, doing things um, in, you know, in sprints, you know, and delivering, you know, packages on packages until you get to that, that, you know, end state. And also owning, you know, we have a lot of project management, but, you know, when you go on Agile, you really own a project for it's life cycle, right? You have ownership from end to end and you have all the right people on the team. So I think over the past years, it's um, really been a huge adoption in a way to, um, to you know, get those best practices and being able to deliver our products faster. And I think that also drives quality because you're looking at things a little bit smaller and not as broader and you can really find some of the areas of improvement a lot faster right now
1: and two pieces Um, uh, two pieces on that i think are when you do move towards an agile you come more iteratively towards something which also syncs up with and it was probably true more true in your semiconductor days (laughs) the cycle times are speeding up you know those cycle times used to be pretty pretty long and you know you could plan but now those things are spinning up so you have to speeding up faster and faster so you have to be more iterative is that yeah
0: exactly yes that's true it was definitely something that we um, had uh, been adopting and adopted um, almost holistically the last few years that I was um, in my previous position even in my operations job we had our own squads delivering you know um, agile and we had our sprints and you know we we you know, had the whole cadence. All of the teams were on the same sprint levels. We had a lot of, you know, uh, good practices of, you know, working together and working uh, through a backlog process and uh, approval process through the backlog. So it really kind of helped us focus on what was important at the moment and um, what we were going to prioritize
1: of prioritization is a good thing because the yes. resources are finite and so yeah. gotta be yeah. one of the important things. So, and then so go also
0: ahead. to that. Well, I was also gonna say that you know best practices is that, you know, you always have to have the right governance and framework and processes in place, like I mentioned earlier, um, because you're not going to be able to use the tools to enable them. And I think that, you know, ITSM ha- has come a long way in providing those platforms to support the already existing processes. Um, and I won't name certain ones. There are some that are my favorite and some that are not quite as much. But these platforms really enable um, the ITS teams to deliver the quality product at a fast, faster rate. So, not only do you adopt these agile, you know, and continuous improvement and um, delivery methodologies, but to have the the right tools from our ITSM um, vendors has it's been really helpful. That they, you know, they they're they're, draw, they're pushing it and driving it some in some ways, um, which I think has helped us to get there a little bit faster than maybe we would have. Oh
1: yes, especially when you think of. How do you handle, and it's not for us to solve. Like, I know the answer is, but how do we handle change management with CICD? Right. How do we handle, um, you know, change management with one group and one product having their own tapes and others and others, you know? And so, you know, things like that. And uh, the one interesting part on that for me is each unique framework has one specific time period that they each call it something different the time after something goes live before you turn it over to operations some call it early production support early life support warranty for the pm project manager people but they all need it and i'm like i don't care what you call it but you all need it
0: right
1: fun because they all argue over what to call it i'm like you call the dog the cat it's okay it doesn't matter
0: well, if somebody in the industry could, like, coin the right phrase that somebody would pick up on, you know, I think that they they could maybe make some money off of that.
1: <laughs> maybe. But it's just, you know, it's arguing over nomenclature. Yeah, that.
0: yeah. And I think that's interesting, too, when you go into a new environment, too, is uh, understanding the language, right, um, of, of what we're speaking. Because it's definitely going into a different industry, um, you know, different acronyms, different terminologies, m- mean depth. Different things to everybody. So you have to be careful that you understand what it is people are saying.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, we need a glossary of terms in the back of everything, right? Yes. So, what are some of the biggest changes on the software asset management side that you've seen?
0: Um, I think that for me seeing the implementation of internal license management teams um, I don't think that was something that a lot of companies um, were doing several years back you know I have a kind of a limited purview but um, I think that uh, having that is uh, is something that um, companies were adopting more and more because they understand the complexity of the license environment and they need to rely on um, Sam uh, capabilities to manage it to mitigate their risk i also think sam is becoming a much more sought after skill set and the expectation of the job goes a lot deeper than it did in the past you know um, it, it was one thing to you know the licensing models 10 years ago were definitely less complex as they are today and to be a software asset manager you have to really have a broad sense of all the different license models, um, you know, because they're expected to do the life cycle management, but understand how to do the risk assessments, conduct the audits, understand the complex licensing structure, and then also constantly improve on the com- um, com- compliance position. So I think that it's definitely become a, uh, a more prestigious kind of job too, you know. To be a software asset manager, um, I think is something that people are um, seeking a lot more, and the expectations definitely are getting a lot, um, a lot more deep.
1: And it's the one way you can save. It's the only place in IT, other than maybe vendor, if you want to go that way, that you can actually save your group money. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah. like it's the I, only yeah, one that so that you can help, right? Right.
0: Yeah. And if you're not, then yeah, they're, they're, you need to kind of look at what where the risk is because there's definitely, um, must be some issues in the processes.
1: I know a certain insurance company that they have five people that say that are tasked with saving 10, 7 to 10 million a year, and it offsets all their cost of, you know, their, their raises for all their contracts. It's one group, they're tasked with offsetting, all the other incremental, uh, you know, increases in right. the software contracts and everything else. It's really interesting to me.
0: It is. It's a really interesting space. I mean, I'm learning all the time, you know, every, every time, you know, about software asset management, even though I've done done it for many years, there are just so many different um, changes and, uh, uh, you know, different places of the maturity model, depending on where you're at. So I, I like that space a lot.
1: Oh, yeah, me too. And the complexity, this is the secret, everyone. The software vendors, software manufacturers, they put that in there for their benefit, not yours. They want as much ambiguity in there so they can take it to the one extreme while you read it at the other.
0: Right, exactly. Yes. Everything's to their advantage, and they make it uh, to make where it's harder and harder every year for you to understand <laughs> how they're going to be modeling something so that uh, so that you can you know avoid the risk of paying more money.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. it's like the old uh, Jerry Maguire money, uh, movie: more money, more money, more money. Right. <laughs> so, you talked a little bit about CICD. How are you all incorporating the newer? emerging technologies, RPA, AI, CICD? I mean, there's there's tons out there. I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole yeah, yeah.
0: So for me, you know, I've just started in my position um, three months ago, maybe a little over three months ago. And, and I'm more, um, I'm in the degree phase versus adapting. So, you know, there are some things that the team is doing, but we're also at different maturity levels. So I think it's always a journey. Um, you, know, you have to assess your current environment and pick the few things to focus on. So that's kind of where I'm at right now is what are some of the areas that we can really drive some efficiencies? Um, you know, I'm learning my t- new team. So right now, you know, looking at you know, how we're developing a, a roadmap to improve and or adapt some of these technologies. I think we're using them a little bit here and there, um, but not formally in some areas. So that's some of the discovery that I have. Other areas of our organization are using them very well. So I'm also going to see how I can leverage the learnings from those teams to adopt within my current team.
1: Yes, and I think it'll grow, especially as you get into integration with your supply chain mm-hmm. you know, and all of that. I mean, I think what hardware asset management looks like a little bit down the road, will look totally different. I mean, it's just going to be mind-blowing because the hardware assets will grow because an organization has a ton of technology assets that are currently not under the purview of IT asset management, but will be. Oh, fun time. So as you peer into, on that note, as you peer into your crystal ball, what upcoming challenges, what upcoming new developments do you see in the hardware and the software asset management spaces?
0: Yeah, well, I think that's a good question. Um, You know, I think to your point, SAM needs to integrate further into the ITSM process framework. You know, there's a SAM framework, there's an ITSM framework, and they, they meet at certain points, but I think it needs to be, um, you know, thought about in a more holistic area. You know, they're dependent upon each other, but, uh, you know, we always need to know what's running on all of the assets and I need to know what assets need support for my software environment. So I think there's definitely um, some merging there. Um, I think it's happening organically, but maybe not um, from a, um, a process and framework standpoint. Um, from the hardware standpoint, you know, the, I see that um, the hardware vendors are continuing to develop the self-healing devices using um, intelligence automation as well as AI for machine learning, and you know, for the machine learning, they're using that hopefully so that they can take the data and how we're using it to make improvements to the devices um, at a faster pace, right? So you know, we are always technology hungry. We always want the better and faster next thing, but sometimes we're also reliant on the vendors to tell us what that is. Um, so hopefully, they're using our the way we're using the machines to make those intelligent choices of what to deliver us in the future. Um, you know, also for me, uh, it's a little bit different and I'm learning in the, um, the private sector, but, you know, it's, you know, it's government, right? And the seats change. So you have different, you know, governors, different commissioners that come in and out. And so their strategies change. So sometimes um, I can anticipate that, you know, going over the next couple of years, it's going to be a little bit challenging because the strategy could change, you know, from one um You know, one seat to the next, um, depending on who is in that position. Um, I haven't seen that, but I can imagine that, you know, there can be some um, different challenges there. And uh, so that will be, you know, how can we set up a, you know, five year strategy um, and take in the considerations any changes that might come about and be flexible there but we're really trying to look at things how we can do things differently um, you know and uh, not do status quo Uh, we've had a lot of different changes in our organization um, before i came but over the past couple years so it's uh, it's really exciting time to be in the um, health and human services it organization
1: oh i bet especially especially now right year 2020 you mentioned the convergence of ITSM and SAM, mm-hmm. and, and you know what's interesting about that is Jim Ryan said it on this show, and but it's also true if you look at the major—not want to name names—ITSM tool manufacturers, their discovery tool finds stuff for the CMDB for Ham and for SAM, and so there is an integration because one's not going to be more mature than the other you know yeah,
0: but they just started doing that over the past couple of years because when i was doing sam you know and then i did the IT asset management you know that was several years back there was definitely a disconnect and the connectors weren't there and a lot of it was very manual um you know and the apis weren't set up and you know, so it was uh Definitely a different environment than it is now, um, which makes it more exciting, yeah, because you can, even if you don't, even if it's not built into your ITSM tool, you have, you know, the third-party vendors now that you can um, connect with uh, with your ITSM tool to get the discovery and uh, see what's in your environment.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a crazy, great world out there. The technologies are emerging fast. When we had Jim Ryan on a few months ago, CEO of LightSare, he talked about that convergence, but he also talked about the convergence of SAM, software asset management, and cloud, where, you know, because all these software vendors are pushing people to the cloud. <laughs> Have you noticed that trend?
0: Uh, yes, most definitely. Um, I think that uh, there the trends are there um, and, you know, there's pros and cons, right? Um, so you ha- spend less time as the, you know, receiver, Um, having to defend your license position and true ups, but then you have the dependency on the vendor on how they change your license strategy based on usage trends. And it's usually not in your favor, right? So there's some convenience that they're selling to us as the customers, but definitely there is, um, you know, some, uh, you know, some means in the background for them to continue to generate revenue. Uh, So, you know, they, if the more we go to the cloud, the less control we have over um you know our environment uh and you know we're a little bit more at the mercy of our vendors and their licensing models and you know we know some of the big ones they like to change change how they license every year and uh it's written in the contracts that they can change at any time and you know sometimes you don't even know about it till it comes time to an audit right oh yeah well we changed this three months ago didn't you notice you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> too bad. You, didn't
0: read, you didn't go read the cliff notes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> too bad. And yeah. on that note, even further, you know, it's not for your benefit, but in the state government, federal government, and also in electric utilities, this difference of capital expenditures versus operational expenditures. Right. Big difference. For those of you not familiar, huge difference on how you budget, right?
0: Yes. Yes. We are, you know, dependent on uh, the uh, revenue that's generated by the tax and, the, you know, taxes across the organiz- state of Texas. And, you know, that can change any time. There's also a lot of grant money um, and things can just they can disappear from one session to the next. Uh, so you have to be really careful about how you're managing um, the different uh, suppliers that you are um, you know, partnering with. Because the expectation is, is, that you know, in two years, you, you may not have that funding anymore, and then you then it puts your the the state as well as the vendors in um, an interesting position. And then what do you do next? Right. But, uh, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, because it takes that initial big burden and mm-hmm. spreads it out, which would be capitalized to spread right. it out over this even across. So. Mm -hmm. So on COVID, I always ask these last two questions on every one of these podcasts. Okay. How have things, how's COVID changed things for you and your group? I know you're just a few months in. You mentioned about the move to mobility, but how's it changed things for you?
0: Well, personally, it's interesting onboarding in this virtual environment. You know, I have many direct reports as well as I have a management of a large outsourced team there are several of them I still haven't seen on video for one reason or another, you know, I, and I don't push it, it's, you know, it's people's personal choice whether they want to do video or not, but it's interesting when you haven't, you know, you can't meet the people in person, uh, but you haven't even seen what they look like other than maybe in a picture they pop up, so um, that's been in, um, very interesting for me, um, but I, I think many of my team members have been working together for a while. Um, so not having that personal interaction is challenging, not just for me, but also for my team members, right? So they don't really know me in that physical level. There's definitely something to be said about, you know, having that physical in-person um, interaction. But I think, you know, we're getting into a groove and I think as humans, we're a very adaptable species, right? We can figure out how to adapt. and I think overall it's business as usual. you know it's just the social distancing and remembering to turn on your videos and taking ourselves off a of mute that we have to remember to do. So I encourage everybody out there that if you're not doing video now, you know people don't really judge you by what's going on on your video. They really just want that interaction you know to, to, so that it's just not a voice on the other side of the phone
1: or the computer. So
0: I, I, I embrace video
1: me too and it helps build the relationship because exactly. also we can have conversations at different levels if we have a better relationship or worse you know i could you can give me feedback and i take it different depending on our relationship and i think that's the part people miss with video and work from home yes there's a lot of positives but there's something to be said about those breakthrough okay. conversations and all that stuff
0: Yeah. And I don't, I mean, you know, I I generally get up in the morning and I don't put on my makeup or really fix my hair. I, you know, it's like, I'm on video. It's, I am who I am. So it's, you know, it's not any different than what I would be if I was in the office. Um, So yeah, turn on your videos, people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So last questions, if you were given, last question, if you were given resources to invest in, just because you believe in this will give a great return on investment. What would you invest in?
0: Uh, yeah, well, my first thing right now, um, there's like a, I mean, I could probably ten, list 10, but um, I would really love to have a business intelligent guru on my team. There's a lot of data and a lot of data sources and the need to put that data in a simplified format, you know, using Power BI or Tableau or something to to visualize it and make sound decisions. We, we have the data. We're working with it, but it is um, a bit cumbersome right now, and it would be nice to have somebody that had um, more expertise than I do or any other people on my team to just come in and be able to whip some stuff up. Cause I can just say, hey, I want this view, this view, and this view, and they can do that for me. And I know there's people out there that can do that. So um, that It would be something I would love to have right now. Um, And from a process standpoint, I would like to see more automation of our workflows. Um, And then I would like to get deeper into driving agile methods into my team. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities there to drive some um, efficient, not just efficiencies, but also just better ways of working and being able to manage the workload in a more thoughtful process. Um, So those are the two things that I would love right now if I could have them.
1: I was having the conversation last week with someone and saying that our world is turning to so much data that we are going to soon be overrun with data and need people to make sense of the data because what happened is we went from zero to 60 no data to too much data Mm -hmm. and everybody has those vendors that give them these data lakes these data well, oceans, whatever you want to call it. Right. But we got to make sense of it. Because if I take an ITO view where it's, it talks about data, and it's enriched, it becomes information, it's re- enriched, it becomes knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then the top is wisdom that we can make great decisions from. Right. We have to get from here to there.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Because right now I have all the data I need to make some of these decisions it's just getting it into the right formats and manipulating it and you know that's um that's a challenge for me because i you know that's not my expertise um there's probably some really good people in my organization that can do that i'll have to like um vet them out Uh, but they're also very busy too so um it'd be really nice to have uh, somebody on my team that could could help with that
1: oh yes data uh, just helping us make great decisions is something that's Yeah, so widely needed in every organization, in every Mm role. Kathy, it's great having you on the podcast. We thank you for coming on.
0: Yeah, Jeffrey, it's been a real pleasure, and for having this opportunity. And uh, you know, I would be happy to join again for any future discussions if uh, you'll have me.
1: Hopefully next year. It's uh, I can't believe we're already at the end. (laughs)
0: Coming really fast.
1: Oh my! Especially with the craziness. Sometimes some of this year's gone real slowly. And some of it's been at warp speed. So,
0: exactly. Yes.
1: I can't tell you which part's which, but that's a different story. (laughs) Have a great day and thank you.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye.
1: We'll be back with Jeffrey's closing thoughts. Hello, everyone. This is Jeffrey back with closing thoughts. I thank you for being a part of what we're doing. It's been a tumultuous, it's been an anxious, it's been quite the year, hadn't it? And so us launching this podcast has been quite the endeavor. So we thank our audience for being a part of the journey with us and our numerous awesome guests. It has been quite the ride and I'm very thankful to all. So this week is special to many. If you are celebrating Christmas, I hope you have the best Christmas. It's merry. It's full of meaning. I hope it's great for you. If you're celebrating Hanukkah, I hope that's great for you. If you are celebrating any other festival or holiday this this week, I hope it's awesome for you. And so we thank you for being a part of what we're doing. I wanted to just mention one thing from our conversation with Kathy. She was a great guest in terms of bringing IT asset management perspective onto this show. We enjoy all these conversations. But that's the strategic nature of IT asset management, ITAM. Whether it's the hardware side, understanding the hardware assets in our environment, the risk associated with each, all that sort of thing, putting them in a life cycle how we onboard, how we decommission. On the software side, think about the cost savings, all that potential audit risk that we have. And so together it's very strategic and it was instrumental in Kathy's career. And I wanted to make sure I pointed that out. And so whatever we can do to help you in your career, if you need something, give me a call, shoot me an email. LinkedIn message, whatever it is. And if service management leadership can help your organization, I hope that you'll reach out and let me know. I've been in the IT asset management space, this seems like a long time, but since 1994. And so I've seen a lot and also in the service management space for a couple decades. And we would love to help you out in whatever obstacles, whatever journeys or transformations that are occupying your time, your thoughts, we'd love to be there for you. And so thank you very much for being with us and have a great, great holiday season.